Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Um, and we're, we're no exception to that rule, are we? <laughs> um, you know, I, we're going to be, in, we're in the book of Acts chapter five, and I want to talk about that, but I, I, I felt convicted this morning to pick up this topic for a minute. Uh, maybe consider this more of a pastoral word, uh, to the fathers. Um, and I recognize that, uh, some of you didn't ask to be fathers because your mother's without husbands, um, or whatever the circumstance might be. Um, so, so I hope you can give me grace as you hear this, because this might feel a little different than perhaps a sermon would feel. But uh, if I could just take a moment to say this, that we have a father hunger in our culture and in our world, because we have a father wound in our culture and in our world. And it runs deep. And that father wound and that father hunger has resulted in a loss of many things. Um, And I I don't know if I can connect all the dots, but I'll I'll do my best here. Um, One thing that our culture has lost is, uh, I'll just call it rites of passage. Um, This idea that there's a passing of the torch, that there's preparation in one another's lives, that there's responsibilities that we have to care for Uh, to bless the future and honor the past. Um, We once were led by elders and spiritual fathers, but I think we've exchanged that for low-risk online sermons and thin books and TED Talks. We have settled for roles of authority, labels, if you will, instead of people of authority. And that's dangerous for us. But here we are. We have distant dads, not disciplined dads. And I think a lot of us are left wondering, where are the men? Where are the masters? And I'm not saying that women can't be masters. They can be. This isn't about that. But we used to have masters. People that were devoted to losing themselves. We have fathers that think highly of themselves, but because of that, they stand in their own way. But the truth is, when I look back at the men that fathered me, the ones that I remember were the ones that pushed me hard, the ones that challenged me, the ones that showed up before I showed up. Because those men men actually took me seriously. Those are the men's the men then that I took seriously. The men that knew that to act responsibly was to act in love by building up 
others. The best fathers in my life practiced with me and then tested me later. They held me accountable. Because without that kind of intensity, our culture and people, a world without good fathers, becomes just a culture of gangs. Communities without leaders. And I'm not just talking about gangs on the street. Pick any tribe. Pick any club. It's spaces without accountability. And it's spaces without stability or order, which is part of what God gives us to flourish and to be well. This might sound like I'm talking about some kind of distant macho and emotionally unavailable do-dead. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a father that's invested, who's cast off all the other labels in exchange for that one. Here's the hard statement for me to say, because I'm speaking to myself. A father is a person whose children know that their presence is desired. That's what a father is. My kids don't have to ask to hang out with me. Um, and if they do, it's because I'm not fathering them. It doesn't mean that when we hang out, we're just hanging out, though. We are doing that also. The father gives up their life for their family and for God. And I think Jesus was a master in this way. And the gift of Jesus to each of us as a father figure is that Jesus is able to deconstruct our toughest shells so that we can be children. And it's, that's the only way we get to receive the kingdom of God is like children. But it takes a master, somebody that we can submit to, who when we hear them, their voice we know that we are in green pastures. We know that we are on solid ground. That's Jesus. And we need that. Otherwise, we're going to think we've got this figured out on our own. I just want to say a prayer for our dads. Um, and, then, and then I want to get into Acts. Uh, Jesus... Um, I pray blessings over our dads. I, I pray that the, the spirit of joy would fill them, that they would be able to move to that place of releasing the things that they're after, uh, shiny objects or titles or uh, six figures or whatever it is, and they would find that the most precious and valuable thing is already in their midst as dads. And as they give themselves to that devotion, and to that kind of faithful act, might we experience as a body and as a community the blessing of the present father with the present mother and the present sister and the present brother and the present child. We pray these things for this church. Amen. Okay, I was not planning on riffing for six minutes there, so forgive me. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 42. 
Um, I want to. I want to read this. My encouragement is that as we read the text itself, that you would that you would attempt to hear not just with your ears and intellect, but you would hear with your heart. Um, and and that takes a quietness and a stillness. And and so um, yeah, just invite us into that. This is from Acts. We're picking it right up where we left off. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Notice the refusal to use the name above all names. Now, last week we saw that the men had been imprisoned for teaching the name and the life of Jesus. And in the midst of that prison, and behind that locked door, unbeknownst to them, a messenger of God was en route and delivered them from their captivity. Because that's what the gospel is, deliverance from captivity. And so this angel sets the apostles free, and they, filled with the Holy Spirit, in juxtaposition to the Sanhedrin, who's filled with jealousy, are sent back to go and to continue to teach and stand firm in this proclamation of what God has been doing. That's where we left it off. And now, they have shown up and found them again in the very courts in which they were condemned and put in prison in the first place. And they're being questioned. Hey, we gave you strict orders not to teach. Yet you have filled, and this is like an apologetic from the other side. I love this. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And, and this is the council that proclaims people guilty. And here they are saying, you are determined on making us guilty. We need to see that. And this first statement, made to appear, the actual translation is to stand before the Sanhedrin. And I say that because it's the fourth time that word's come up in seven verses. And there's something about this speaking and standing that's instructive for the church. That the invitation, the call, is to stand and speak, even in opposition, which is what the court is. And religious leaders who is representing the opposition here, of course, were the ones who were responsible for teaching, right? But here, the followers of Jesus are being called to have that authority and to have that judgment, which is why the Sanhedrin can say, you're determined to make us guilty. The roles have switched. The apostles are teaching and judging them. And not only are they filled with jealousy, as we saw last week, and the apostles are filled with the Spirit, but now Jerusalem is filled, according to this. You have filled Jerusalem 
with the teachings of Jesus. Jerusalem has been saturated in the declaration of good news. Peoria, Glendale, Surprise, Phoenix, wherever you're from, we are to saturate our spaces with the good news by standing and speaking. And this standing and speaking is not a just go and do this activity. We're using the language of standing and speaking to represent, in a metaphoric way, the whole person. It's not just your words that matter. It's not your feet that matter. It's you that matters. You are to go and fill your spaces with the life, which is the text we quoted from last week, that has been given to you. That's boldness and braveness. That's the markers here that we see in the Christian movement. But that boldness and braveness is not measured by how much you say, or how well you say it, or how well you even stand. The measurement is the cost to you. Braveness and boldness is a measurement of cost. Again, because see, our temptation is to go, oh, I don't say enough, I don't preach enough, I don't tell people about my faith in Jesus enough. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about offering a branch here and there. I'm talking about cutting down the whole freaking tree. Give your life, surrender over. That's the kind of imagery that the early church is displaying at all costs. And you can tell because clearly they don't care what the cost is. They've been told what would happen to them if they do this. They know the risk. They've seen with their own eyes what, will happen, what happened to Jesus. But they've moved. They've shifted from this metric of earning and transaction to this place of just surrender. It's no half measures. Jesus isn't asking for your time or your money or your work. He's asking for you. So Luke tells us to stand, to speak. He's saying, live it out. Like, let this thing get into all of you. So in the space of surrender, we have to think not just of our task, but we have to think of our heart and our mind and our body. So much of the present Christian life is a negotiation of duties. That's not it. In your each moment, do you, like, can you take into every moment the action of surrender? So, Lord, like this desire of mine, I give it to you, and because I, I want what I desire more than this is what you desire. This decision, God, I. 
that I need to make. I, I, I'm going to trust your voice. And, and, and you know, we've been given one mind, and yet we're so double-minded, aren't we? But the good news of that is at least you know it's not just you in there. That one of the voices is probably the voice of God. But we test that. We discern that. Because each piece is being handed over. How you respond to the kid's question. How you engage this new opportunity. All of it is standing and speaking. Confidently rooted in the person and life of Jesus. That's how we live. And this is a weird dynamic because it feels like taking up your cross in one hand, but it's also the easy yoke in the other. Because the alternative is that you just have to figure it out. The only thing we have to figure out is to, to pick up the cross. Peace. And then we are yoked with Christ. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. That's the heart of it, the essence of it. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed. They're, here they are judging away. You killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. A prince leads people. And the statement here is that he might bring Israel to repentance. That's what Jesus does, is he leads people to the place of repentance. And a Savior forgives their sins. That's what's happening in this text. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now this statement's tied at two places, right? That we must obey God rather than human beings. And then it ends with, the spirit of God has been given to those who obey him. And I'll just speak briefly to that because I'm out of time. Uh, obedience it feels to us like a list of rules that we follow. But obedience, what obedience is pointing to is the kind of life that God has created for us to flourish in. And he's simply saying, when we live in this world that he's created for us, as he created us to live in it, we experience the fullness of God. We receive the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God lives within the will of God. And that's a lot of words. I wanna, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. The kingdom of God is the range of God's will wherever it is being played out. That's the place you're going to experience God in. When you choose, this is where the obey comes in, something other than that, that's, you won't have the witness of the Spirit there because the Spirit is truth. And so we choose obedience because we recognize that that's where we have relationship with God. Fellowship with God, union with God. That's the place of becoming with God. The other place is what the scriptures describe as hell. And it's a kind of obedience also, and it's a kind of becoming also, but it's not the kind that Jesus came to give. And so we can hear rules, or we can hear life. Life is what this is pointing to. Man. Okay, so... Um,
And, and, and the intersection, right? Humans are telling them to do one thing, and God is telling them to do the other. And, and we just need to think about that for ourselves for just a moment. Where's that place for you? Where do you feel the, the tug of war in your life between and God? Fill in the blank, whatever it is. It's not always the pressures of other people. But the invitation for the life that we talked about previously is in this place of chasing after God. Where we witness the power of the Holy Spirit. There shouldn't be confusion about this. One leads to death and one leads to life. And so when you're discerning, you just need to ask that question. Which, which voice is life? Which voice is consolation? It might be the costly one. But remember the easy yoke. Otherwise, we're submitted to an eternity of conflicting wills, double-mindedness, a house divided, torn between this and that. And that's not how they're living. They're not even interested in the alternative. They have an alternative. They've been presented with an alternative. Hey, stop teaching the name of Jesus. And it's like it goes right through them. They don't even hear it. Because sometimes obedience to God means disobedience to the other authority. And that's what we're being invited to do today is to be disobedient to the voices that aren't God's. Please, stop obeying those voices. And as you choose to stop obeying those voices, you, you take on something far better, far more wonderful. Even if you don't have it all figured out or know what it's going to be like, I'm just telling you right now, there's going to be more peace in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is going to be increasingly abundant in your life. You won't be enslaved to the worry that you've been enslaved in. Because there is no worry in the kingdom of God. There isn't. Because you have all that you need. I want to live there. And you don't have to wait until you die to live there, by the way. You can do it right now. It's a choice. It's a choice. Um, there's more to read and more to say, but I want to... Um, more important to me than this is that we worship Jesus. So let's, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would lead us uh, this morning as we continue in this text, that we would experience you uh, in this time of communion and worship, God. That we would chase after you and set aside all the other things, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful text, for this wonderful picture of life with you even when it requires struggle and persecution. But may we count all that a joy, as the text goes on to say. Because we would put up with any of that if it means having you. Because life with you is a gift. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to go into communion. I apologize. I know there's more scripture there, um, but I want to honor our time. Um, communion. Let me read, let me read what, I re what we talk about every week, okay? And, but just sit with this for a second. This is, pay attention to this. This is the table, and it's not of the church, but it's of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him. 
and for those who want to love him more. So come, each of you who have much faith and each of you who have little faith, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It's his desire that those who want him should meet him here. What did you hear? What do you hear in that invitation? It's for all. You are part of this thing that God has given all things over for. And that's what this table's about, is this relationship that God has made possible through his body and his blood. He was willing to do whatever it took to have you, to have you. You're worth it to him. You're not worthy. He's worthy, but you're worth it. Because you're, you are his beloved and his desires for you. So I invite you to come to the table <clears throat> to find a friend, to find a stranger. We're all part of the body of Christ and to just join them in this mystery of union and communion together today. Uh, find a spot in the room. Say thanks be to Jesus. Confess your sins. Ask for healing. Whatever it is, let's just invite God to do God in this place of communion together. So there's the table. You guys figure it out.